We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Luke chapter 19, and today we're blessed to be able to cover verses 11 through 27 as we study together the parable of the minas. Look what you read in verse 11. It says, um, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 11. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And so he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants, to whom he had given money, to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by training. We read here that they were getting close to Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And, you know, they don't know that. The Lord's been trying to tell them, man, but it just won't sink in. And so the expectation is rising. The anticipation is growing that when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, that he's going to, you know, set up his kingdom. You know, they don't realize that there's two comings. They think there's only one coming. And they believe it's a political thing that Jesus is going to accomplish and overthrow the Roman government. And so, you know, they thought, cool, it's going to happen right now. And so what the Lord does is he tells a parable to them. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, the interesting thing is this. This was actually something that they could really relate to because it had happened not too long ago. When Herod the Great died, he left a portion of his kingdom to one of his sons named Archelaus. Archelaus was then sent to Rome to kind of like officially receive his kingdom. When he went to Rome, the Jewish men put together a delegation of 50 that went and resisted his crowning. And so they could relate to this whole thing. In the end, Archelaus was crowned. And they could look at their history and they could say, you know what, this is something that's happened to us in the past. But what Jesus is now saying is this is something that's going to happen to you in the future. But it's not going to be a political kingdom. It's not going to be an earthly kingdom. It's going to be a spiritual kingdom. It's going to be the millennial kingdom. Jesus wasn't going to set up his kingdom right away. He had to die on a cross and then he would go to heaven. He would go to his father And in that kind of like final, formal way, he would receive his kingdom. It's kind of interesting. When you read Psalm chapter 2, the father said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Why do the nations rage? They will resist his rule, but they will not prevail in their attempt to stop it. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ right now, it's kind of like this. And it's interesting. You're like, well, what did he do to, to, to earn the kingdom? Well, he died on a cross. 
He died on a cross for all of our sins. Because before the crown, there's always the cross, right? And that's amazing to me when I think about it. Like, you know, what does it take for this guy to lead, you know, the, the, the city, the country, the nation, the world? And, you know, we look at these political candidates today and it just, to be honest with you, it turns my stomach you know, they're looking for men maybe with an education. They're looking for men who are good communicators. They're looking for men who will tell them what they want to hear. These men are weak men. These men are not worthy to be rulers. To me, I'm so blessed to know that our king died for us. Our king, he was suffering there on the cross And so he goes into heaven, think about it, with the credentials of having died for this place. And so there he is. He goes to receive his kingdom. But in the meantime, what he does is he calls his servants to them and he gives them certain responsibilities while he's gone. And he tells them, he says, hey, you guys, I'm going to be gone for a while. I'll return. But while I'm gone, I've got some work for you to do. You know, the interesting thing is the, the word servant, it, it literally is the, he, the Greek word doulos, and it means slave. It speaks of an individual who has surrendered their rights to another person. You know, we today, we, I think, don't understand who we are. You know, thank God that by the Holy Spirit, you're saints. And thank God by the Father, you are sons and daughters. But I think we need to understand that by the Lord Jesus Christ, we are slaves. We don't like that, you know. We fought slavery in this country for a good reason, because there came a time when men became slaves of just men. And they were under the impression that not all men were created equal. And thank God we stopped that type of slavery. But whatever you do, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. There are still slaves today. And that is us. We are the church. Why is it that we don't understand that? You know, the Lord said, I'm going to receive a kingdom. And you have a responsibility within the kingdom. And so what do we read? We read right here that he gave them minas. And what does he tell them to do? He tells them to do business. Again, notice we read in verse 14, his citizens hated him. They sent a delegation. But in verse 13, he tells his servants to do business till I come. What responsibilities do we have? Two things, if I can say this. Number one, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord as a slave. Number two, submit to the Lord. Submit to the Lord as the one who rules over your life. It's important for us to understand what Jesus is saying right here. You know, it's interesting. He says that this certain nobleman called his servants to him, ten servants, ten minas, a mina for each servant. A mina would be about three to four months of wages for your typical working man. And what does he do? He commands them to do business till he comes. Does anyone here have an Old King James Bible, Old King James Version? None of you here are saved, I thought. Man, that's Old King James is right on. Anyways, New King James is pretty good. Old King James, he says, occupy till I come, right? Occupy till I come. 
The Greek word means to be occupied with. It means to carry on in business. And what this means is that every Christian has been given an occupation and we are therefore to occupy, to do business until he, our King Jesus, returns. And so it's simple. Here it is. Responsibilities from God mean priorities to God. We all have responsibilities in life. And what we need to understand is that as Christians, we are slaves called to serve him. Secondly, called to submit to him. It's rather tragic that we'd read here in verse 14 that his citizens, it says right there, hated him. They hated him. That's the non-believer, huh? I mean, they don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. They get offended when you tell them that that baby within the womb has a right to live. They hate that. They hate that when you tell them marriage is only between a man and a woman. They hate that. They call you evil. You know, I was tripping out on this movie uh, that came out recently. I think it's called Hunger Games. And from my understanding, it's like the, the number one movie. It's just like crazy. Everybody wants to go see these young adults kill each other. Ruthlessly. We are paying and we are being entertained through murder. And a lot of Christians go see those movies. Why? Is that noble? Is that pure? Philippians chapter 4 says we're not to be meditating on those things. It reminds me of the days in the Roman Empire when they would go to the Colosseum and they would still, they would see these people, you know, be killed by animals and be killed by each other. What's the difference between that and paying to go see it in a movie? Not a whole lot. But we live in a world that is antithetical to God and has creeped into the church. Problem is, people don't love God the way they should. A lot of people hate God. And you want to know how we know they hate God? Because they don't want him to rule over their life. You know, you got to be really careful, you guys. Just because you come to church or just because you have the t-shirt or just because you went forward or just because your parents are Christians or whatever it is, it doesn't mean you're a Christian. Is Jesus Christ the Lord and leader of your life? Are you serving him or are you serving yourself? It's important for us to make sure that we understand the responsibilities that we have. That way we can focus on the priorities of life. You know, I I know that, you know, we can get sidetracked so easily in this world. But, man, if I could just kind of like like wake you up, man, if I could wake myself up. Sometimes I think that people, even in the church, are like in this matrix, and they're hypnotized, and they're mesmerized by the world that we live in. And there they are, watching TV all day long. There they are, and they know they're worshiping their idols in their car, and they're waxing it, or, you know, whatever it is. I don't know what takes up your time, but when you really take a really, you know, a long look at your schedule, a lot of times you'll find is that you're living your life for yourself. And, and for the Christian, it should never be that way. For the, the Christian, the way that it works, man, is every heartbeat should beat for God. Every contemplation, every you know, declaration, every occupation, every recreation, every obligation, it should be all under the banner of God. You know, don't get me wrong. I understand that, you know, we have to go and we have to have fun. And I love to 
play battleship with my son and stuff like that, you know. And, you know, we need to take our vacations and stuff. I'm not getting like that. But even all of those things are sanctified. The reason I play battleship for my son, with my son is because he's not very good. No, I'm just joking. That's not why. <laughs> You know, in all honesty, the reason I play Battleship with, and of course we read the Bible together, and we pray together, and we talk about the Lord and all those priorities as well, but I, I need to spend time with Him. And the reason I need to spend time with Him is because I love Him. And He's been entrusted to my care for a season. It's all for the Lord. All of it must be for God. And if there's anything that you're doing in your life that God would not approve of, I, I beg you to repent of that, to get rid of that. We're to occupy till he comes. We're to do business till he comes. We have responsibilities that should mean we have priorities. What position do you play in the church? Where are you called to serve? You know, some people, you talk to them and they've been coming to church and, yeah, I'm praying about it, I'm praying about it, I'm praying about it. You know, dude, it's been 10 years now, man. When are you going to step up and be what God's called you to be? And I'm not saying it's always that easy, but I'm telling you this, that if you listen, he will speak to you. He will make it clear. And sometimes it's not always within the church, not always within these four walls, but somewhere... In the kingdom of God, there is a place for you. And there are beautiful people that you are called to minister to. But we serve ourselves. You know, we've been given a stewardship with the gang. That's our family and the gospel. We've got to take it out and tell people about Jesus and stop being so quiet. We have been given stewardship of our time, which belongs to God, our talents, all the the money, the gifts that we have, the treasures. And I also believe we're stewards of our temple. Six things. If I was you, I would write those things down and wake up in the morning. The gang, the gospel, the time, the talents, the treasures, the temple. And you ask God, how can I be a good steward of all these things? And then before you go to bed at night, you check and you see how you did. Because one day, you will stand before God and you will give an account. What did you do with your family? With the gospel? With the time? The talents and the treasures in the temple that I gave you? You see, because he went to receive a kingdom and we have responsibilities within this kingdom. And one day we're going to stand before him. Look what we read right here. It says, as we look at this, in verse 15, And so it was that when he, Jesus, returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. And then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you are faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Do you ever think about that day? 
Do you ever think about the day when you and I as Christians will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and give an account? Give an account of the mina that we've been given. You know, it's really interesting. When you read Matthew 25, you read the parable of the talents. To some he gave five, to some he gave two, to some he gave one. And that speaks of the different gifts we've been given. We've all been different, given different gifts. And some of you have five, and I'm jealous. <laughs> some of you have two, some of us have one. Don't worry about how many gifts you have. Whatever gift you have, be faithful, and you're going to receive the same reward, according to Matthew 25. So, you know, we know what the talents are, but what does the mina signify? We've all been given one mina. What's the mina? Well, some people say the mina is the gospel, but I don't think that's it. Other people think that the mina is the money. I don't think that's it. You know what I think the mina is? What's the one thing that we've all been given one of? Life. We've all been given one life. And this is one thing you don't want to learn when your life is over. You know, you don't want to be on the other side of time, having never invested your life. You don't want to be there on your deathbed with a whole bunch of woulda, coulda, shouldas, a whole bunch of regrets because all you had was reserves. You never went full bore. You never served the Lord as a slave. We've all been given one life, one life to live. Soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. My encouragement to you is to echo the words of Paul who said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why Paul was able to be the man he was. Because he gave God his life. And we need to do the same. You know, if you're faithful, and I just pray, you know, I know a lot of you, you know, you are, and I want to encourage you to continue to be faithful because it is not in vain. Some of you aren't and you need to wake up and make the responsibilities God's given you priorities in life. But wouldn't it be so cool if you were there on that day, you stood before the Lord and you gave an account and the one mina he gave you earned ten minas. What will God say to you? Well done. Well done, faithful servant. Oh, man, I can't think of any sweeter words that we will ever hear. But I wonder if I'll hear those words from the lips of my Lord. I want to make him happy. I want to bring him glory. Not that I want ten cities, although I do want Almani. I'm hoping and praying, Lord, give me Almani and Honolulu. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) I don't know. I, not that I want ten cities, but I want to. I want to please him. We sang a beautiful song earlier, just because of of who he is. Then there's the one he earned five cities. Now the interesting thing right here is he doesn't say well done, and and I don't know if that's significant or not. But he just said, okay, you got ten. Well done, faithful servant. You got five. Okay, 
You got five. And you know, I, I wonder about that. You know, we even read about Matthew chapter 13, the, the different, you know, fruit that's produced, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. I want to be a hundred fold Christian. You see? And that's got to be our heart. You know, what's interesting to me, you know, what's going to be my reward? You know, what do I get? Man, do I get a new iPad in heaven? Or will God give me a million dollars? Or, you know, I want to have a massive mansion, you know, and, you know, clap on, clap off. I want all that technology. And, you know, what's going to be your reward? You want to know what your reward will be? Greater responsibility. That's kind of cool, huh? And that's a principle for time and eternity. It's now and then. The faithful one will receive greater responsibility. You know, the the one who's unfaithful, we're going to see later, even what he has will be taken away from him. That's the way the rewards work. That's God's math in God's kingdom. You know, we're going to see later as we continue to travel through 1 Samuel on Thursday nights that God's taken Eli down because he is an unfaithful priest. And God's raising Samuel up. God's taking Saul down because of an unfaithful king. We're going to see. And God's raising David up. You see, the principle is that when you're faithful, God will entrust more responsibility to you. And that's all I think the Lord is trying to share. You know, we have one guy tenfold, one guy fivefold, but then we have this guy right here in verse 20. Another came and said, Master, here's your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. What? You did what? Wasn't it clear? I told you to do business till I come. I told you to occupy till I come. He made an excuse, but I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. That's a lie. It's a lie. This man does not fear God. And that's the problem. That's the problem in the church. We don't really fear God. You know, it's interesting, and I don't know if this guy was a completely accurate in his description of God, but we see in the parable that, you know, the, the, the nobleman, the king, he doesn't really argue with him about that. The problem was he didn't fear God. He was disobedient. He was wicked. And he was lazy. And I'll tell you what, you guys, and I say this to myself, and, and so whatever you do, you know, you're like, oh, I'm going to stone this guy. You know, it's not, it's not personal, man. It's, it's, it's something to, to wake us up. And, and basically, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, in looking at this right here, I think that the problem is, you know, is that a lot of times we find ourselves just, you know, living our own life, doing our own thing, And we just don't realize that one day we're going to give an account. Our reward will be based on our faithfulness. And that's what we have to understand. And looking at the parable right here, I think we need more fear of God, a healthy fear of God. I think we need to really think about that day, that day. Imagine that day. It could happen at any time, right? When's Jesus coming back? Anybody know the day or the hour? No, we know the season though, huh? I tell you what, man, he's coming soon. 
Last night I was talking to my nephew, Jeffrey, and I was scaring him like crazy. It was cool, man. <laughs> and I was, uh, now I was telling him, you know, in all reality, I'm like, Jeffrey, the Lord can come any time now. Five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> you know, we're just messing around and like that. He's all excited, you know. But seriously, he can come right now. He can come like right now, any time now, right? Only one life, soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. You see, one day we'll stand before the Lord. In verses 15 through 26, we have what's called the Bema Seat Judgment. And then in verse 27, we have the Great Throne Judgment. You see, Jesus Christ is coming back not only as a king, he's also coming back as a judge. You know, the Bema Seat is that place where Christians will stand before God and they will give an account of their reward, of their works, and their works will be rewarded based on their faithfulness, on their motives. And I really want to prepare you for that day. I really do. And I'll be honest with you, man. And I'm going to kind of give you a little, a little, I don't know. I guess you could say a earthly illustration. You know, I was thinking, Lord, wouldn't it be cool if you know Calvary Chapel Almani placed first as a team? You know. <laughs> In heaven, you know, we had all these guys that were really in love with the Lord and these ladies that are really in love with the Lord. Not that we're competing with each other or anything like that, but, you know, you go to these wrestling matches and you have, you know, the, the, the big, you know, team against team, but then you have the individuals. And I thought, Lord, one day we're going to be rewarded and maybe you can use this study to awaken us, Lord, to be faithful. You know, we need to know the scriptures. A few scriptures. Let's turn to real quick. First Corinthians chapter 3. The Bema Seat. The Bema Seat Judgment. It says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Now here's the thing, okay? And I want to encourage you guys to know that the church is responsible to do three things. Number one, exalt God. If it doesn't exalt God, don't do it. Number two, edify the church. You build up the church. And number three, evangelize the world. Real simple. Here we have them edifying the church. They're doing ministry, right? But he says, let each one take heed how he does it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it or reveal it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. And so if you can, visualize your responsibilities, your work as a Christian going into the fire. And we see the fire will test it. You know, if it's gold, silver, precious stones, you know, you're going to get something back. If it's wood, hay, stubble, it's going to burn away, right? That will reveal your reward, what we find in looking at that. Now, this is for the Christian. This is not a matter of losing one's salvation, but it is a matter of losing one's reward. Because look at the next verse, it says right there, If anyone's work, in verse 15, is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. 
And so let's just say you're working and you're serving the Lord and you're teaching the truth. Cool. Why are you teaching the truth? Is it for your own glory? It's going to be burned up. And you're singing and you're hitting the note. Cool. Why are you hitting the note? Is it for God's glory? We have to do what he's called us to do, how he's called us to do it, for his glory. And one day, all our works will be tested. You know, some people, they're going to have a saved soul, but a wasted life. That's why Christians really need to wake up. God's really going to look at the motives. If you go over to 1 Corinthians 4, it says in verse 1, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is who? The Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels or motives of the heart. And so, you know, someone says something about me. You know what? I'll listen, but I'm not going to take it to heart. And even me, I say something about me. I'm a good guy. I'm doing this for the right reason. Yeah, you think so. We try our best to make sure our motives are right and their motives are not marred. But even then, we're not sure. One day, we'll stand before God and it will be clear why you did what you did. This is the Bema Seat of Christ, and God's going to judge us on our faithfulness. Just in case you're wondering, you're like, is there any way around it? Can I get out of this thing, man? Is there any appeals or anything like that? Well, look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just in case you think you can get out of this. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. No way around it. If you're a Christian, we must all appear there. The word in the Greek for judgment seat is bema seat. And that's when we stand before the Lord. One last scripture in Romans chapter 14. In verse 10, it says, But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, and so it's a personal thing. It's very personal. And that's why we have to make sure that we hear from the Lord. We get his marching orders, and we get our responsibilities from him and not others. See? I want to encourage you guys to get ready for that day. Christians will give an account when we stand before Jesus. The question is, was I a slave from the saved to the grave? You see, when God saved us, he had a calling on our life. You know, let's just say you're part of a baseball team. You know, we need a second baseman. You know, we need a third baseman. We need a shortstop. We need a catcher, a pitcher, left fielder, designated hitter, whatever it is. That's the way it is in the church. You know, everybody has different gifts and responsibilities. And you may think you're getting away with it. 
because you're being disobedient, wicked, and lazy. But you're not getting away with it. Because one day you'll stand before God. And so what you want to do is you really want to ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And it's not always necessarily, you know, church ministry. The announcement goes out in the bulletin and, hey, God's calling me to be a power pointer. Maybe it is. Can you click a mouse? You know, maybe it's not. Like I said earlier, you know, check your family. Husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. But don't just say, well, it's just the family because we've studied the Bible. We know better than that. There's more to life. There's also the ministry. It's just a matter of being obedient. Of course, we know we have our priorities. The family qualifies us for ministry. But we need to make sure that we don't use it as an excuse. God gives us the wisdom. And what we need to do is follow him. Here we have this one guy. He gets tenfold. And then we have the second guy. He gets fivefold. But then we have this third guy. We see that he, what does he do? He buries it and he gets nothing back. If you go back to Luke chapter 19, we see the Lord's condemnation of this man. And I guess in one sense, it's kind of like a first John 2.28, where this guy, even as a Christian, somehow, some way, is ashamed. He says right there in verse 22, he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the miner from him and give it to him who has ten miners. But they said, Master, he has ten minus. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And the Lord said, the least you could have done, the least you could have done was put the money in the bank, get a little of interest. Now I hope you're not here and saying, well, I think I'm going to try to do the least. <laughs> I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to put the money in the bank. You know what I was thinking when I was reading this? I was thinking, Lord, on that day, I really want to hear you say, well done. On that day, somehow, even though my life wasn't much, Lord, I want my life to have been completely spent for you. And I was thinking, you know, to, to get the ten minas from the one mina, that must have been hard. I mean, this isn't, you know, for, you know, a kickback Cracker Jack type of guy, right? This is for a hard worker. This is for a man who's willing to pay the price, a man who's willing to sacrifice, a man who's willing to take up his cross, a man who's willing to pray, to fall on his knees, to fall on his face, a man who's willing to fast, a man who's willing to take this seriously for God. He loves the Lord, he enjoys the Lord, but he exalts the Lord. I pray that we wouldn't do the least or even be half-hearted, but that God would give us the capacity to do tenfold, because we will be rewarded accordingly. I'm sure you guys have heard that story, we're almost done, about the contractor who had an employee, and um, the employee was just about to retire and so what the contractor did was he said, you know what, I'm going to bless this guy. He's about to retire. I've got a plan. And so what he does is he tells his employee, 
you know what? I want you to build one more house before you retire. What I want you to do, and here's the, the money, man, and it was, you know, a lavish amount of money. He says, I want you to build me a good house. I want you to build me a strong house. I want you to build me a solid house. And, you know, you know, use the best materials. You can afford it. Here it is. Everything is provided for you. Everything you need. It's all there. But what the man did is he, he looked at it from a different angle and he said, you know what? There's a lot of money to be made right here. If I cut corners... If I kick back, I can hire some of these guys over there. I won't even have to supervise their work. You know, I can go and I can, you know, get some single-pane windows if they still sell those, you know. I know that there's some discontinued cow-shake roofing over there, and we'll use quarter-inch drywall and you name it, man. He cut corners everywhere. He says, we'll make it look pretty good, but, man... It's going to be a cheap house, you know, because I want to get by and I'm going to cruise, man. And so he does the work and he ends up making a whole bunch of money, right? But the house, it's a piece of junk. And so what happens? Well, in the end, the owner comes and he says, well, you finished the house. It looks pretty good. I want you to know that from this day forward, this is your house. Right, And I know you've heard that before, but it's a reminder, right? You're building your own house. You're making your own bed. You're cutting corners. You're lazy, wicked, and disobedient. Why? Number one, our Lord is worth more than that. And number two, look what you're doing to yourself. I pray that the Lord would in His Spirit and His love and His grace, awaken us to stop living for this world, to stop living for ourselves, and that every heartbeat, let it be a beat for Him. You know, we see the Bema Seat judgment, and then we close in verse 27 with this great white throne judgment. And he says, But bring here those enemies of mine who did want, want me to reign over them, and slay them before me. Ouch. <laughs> Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, talks about those whose names were not written in the book of life. And the Bible says that they were cast into the lake of fire. One day we'll stand before the Lord. He's the king and he's the judge. As Christians, it's called the Bema Seat. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, one day you will stand before him at the great white throne judgment. Man, I pray that you're not there. I pray that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. Jesus died for you on that cross. He did everything that's necessary other than you repenting of your sins and receiving him as Lord and Savior. Christians, let's pray that the Lord would work in our life in such a way that one day on that day, you know, we will kind of leave a legacy, man. You know, I, I like that song. You guys heard that song by Nicole Nordeman called Legacy? If you've never heard it, download it from iTunes. If you don't know how to download it from iTunes, ask your kids or your nephew. They'll do it for you. <laughs> But she says this, not well traveled, not well read, not well to do, 
not well-bred. Just want to hear instead, well done, good and faithful one. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to study your word today, preparing us for that day, the great, great day, the Bema Seat Judgment, where we will stand before you. Lord, I pray in my own life, Lord, that you would awaken me to take this even that much more seriously, Lord. I do not want to be disobedient in any way. I do not want to be wicked or lazy in any way. God, I pray that I would die to myself, take up my cross and follow you. And I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, that whatever the responsibilities are, that they would truly become priorities in their life. Lord, let that, that, that echo, that truth, that word resonate within our heart. Only one life, soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.